As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Three, two, one, zero. Hello, welcome to... Episode 148, Made Budgets. Hey Money Clan, a very warm welcome to the Chain of Wealth podcast. I'm your host, Dennis O'Brien. And I'm Katie Welsh. So Katie, awesome conversation today and a really cool guest, Erica from TaylorMade Budgets. I already got a lot of value out of this conversation. I loved her. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, the whole conversation, like when she would bring up different parts of our conversation, I felt like she was talking about me personally. Because yeah. she, it was, she was just so like... This is the kind of person like with student loans or with money or this or that. And I felt everything that she said was so relatable. Yeah. And I think it also really addresses millennials. There's a lot of millennial topics that she covers. So mm-hmm. really, really great. If you've got a student loan or anything like that, definitely give this one a listen. So just before we dive out in, if you guys would love to join our community, head on over to chainofwealth.com slash group. You can join our Facebook group. We would love if you came in. And let us know a little bit about what you're busy with financially. All right, Kate, are you ready to dive right into today's episode? Yep. Awesome. Let's dive right in. Welcome to Chain of Wealth. Here's your host, Dennis, inspiring you to begin your journey of financial freedom. Erica has gone from $100,000 of debt to debt-free in only five years. Herna has decided early on to take hold of their financial life. After paying off all her debts, she's realized how passionate she is in helping people better their lives. Thus, TaylorMade Budgets was born. Hi, Welcome, Erica. Erica. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, we're so glad that you're on with us. So Absolutely. as I was kind of combing through your website and everything. My favorite part about researching for guests is reading their about me section. Mm. And it caught my eye because you have quite an interesting story when it comes to your personal life. Uh, like Dennis just said, you and your husband paid off $100,000 in a relatively short amount of time. Right. So yeah. I wanted to... I wanted to kind of pick your brain about that. What was that like? What were you guys doing? What were you feeling? Can you tell us about it? Absolutely. Yeah. So it actually didn't start off at $100,000 in debt. Um, the debt grew. We we got married pretty young. Um, I was 22 and he was 24, I think. And um, 
I mean, you know, young and dumb. <laughs> and um, we started off with $60,000 in debt or uh, thereabouts, about sixty five, And then, you know, you start amassing because that's what you think you're supposed to do. You get your first real good job. I was an engineer. He was in sales. And, you know, you did what you thought you were supposed to. Let's get another car. We need this. And then we had a baby and we needed another car. (laughs) You know, you need something safe and quote unquote reliable and all of this. And so Mm -hmm. the cars kind of put us over the edge and, um, and they weren't unreasonable, but it's, it's easy for people to get a 20 or $25,000 vehicle. And that's not an astronomical cost. However, when you have 60,000, 65,000 already, now we're kind of, you know, I mean, you start adding that stuff up and no one does that. I ask people all the time, like how much debt in total do you have? And they're like, uh, 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 I don't know. I was that person. That was, that was us. I was too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It took, I mean, we were married for a year before we made that, that, revelation as to how much debt we actually had and that we were going to try and do something about it. And it, it obviously took us working together as a team for us to make any kind of traction, but it, it was gut wrenching to drive a car. You have a newborn baby and then the car dies on you and you do not have money. Like we did not have a thousand dollars to resurrect that car and buy another engine. And so I'm an engineer and you would think, oh, you've got it. You can do it. No, 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 no. I had payments of over a thousand dollars a month. And so that was the moment when we said, you know what, this isn't one safe. It's not um, wise. We've got to figure something out. So that was kind of our aha moment when the crap hit the fan. (laughs) Yeah. And we had to figure that out about a year and a half into our marriage. And um, and when we did, then we went like gangbusters trying to figure this out and just pay off as much debt as we could and um, live on less and be intentional with any extra monies that we found. My husband at one point got a second job and um, I was at home by this point with two babies. And so, you know, it, it was a lot that, you know, you have to go through in order to, if you're committed to the freedom of getting out of debt and that's what we did. So, um, it was teamwork, but I think the biggest thing, the biggest two things were, were we had to open our eyes and get real about our financial situation. And then we had to get to work and stay to work until we got it done. I appreciate the fact that you said, you know, you asked people how much debt they have and you know, you know, you have debt, right? But you don't really ever add it all up because the, the exact same thing happened to me about, I don't know, like a year and a half ago when we moved in together and uh, my bills started coming to my new address. And finally, Dennis was like, so how much debt do you have? Right. And I kind of just like, I listed everything off individually. But in my brain, I had never combined everything together. And I think yeah. that is something that happens a lot. Right. It is. Well, because it's scary. I mean, we just don't want to face it. (laughs) I mean, the part in my relationship with my clients that I personally love and I I find a bit of tenderness with my clients is when we have a reality check. You know, we have to add it all up, face the face, the music, you know, and 
one of the things I will appreciate, I don't think this was our real eye-opening moment, but it was really important for us when we went through premarital counsel. Um, the, you know, pastor actually had us get our credit reports. Um, and I was freaking out. I mean, I, I honestly wanted to pee my pants. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> what are we doing here? And so, he, you know, um, I was obedient <laughs> and I got it. And I don't know how nervous my, my fiance at the time was, but I was really uncomfortable with that. And, um, because I didn't know what was going to happen next. And he didn't tell us what was happening next. So we brought them, set them on the table in the office and he gives mine to my fiance and gives his to me. And I was like, oh my gosh. And all I could think was, what is he going to think of me? What is he going to, I have all this debt. I've got the student loans, these credit cards. What is he going to think? <laughs> That's what was going through my head. Yeah. yeah. And I slowly raised my eyes up and looked at him and I realized, hold on a second. I've got his in front of me, you know? And so I wonder what he's going through. And I, I went to a quiet place after we left the office and I looked at his, you know, and I realized, you know what? I mean, this isn't always a situation, but it looked similar. <laughs> and so um, I was silently grateful that I wasn't by myself and my credit card and my student loans and, you know, all of that. But it it was eye-opening because we always think it's about us. Like it, we always think, oh my gosh, what are they going to think of me? And we're never really thinking about what are they going through? You know, and if you have a whole lot of debt, they probably are a bit apprehensive, like, oh my gosh, how are we going to handle this? Or if they, you know, ha are the ones with a lot of debt, they want some, you know, someone to be tender and open and not judgmental about it. And so I think realizing that he was probably having similar feelings and that I needed to just be open to the, the reason for the process was that we didn't have any secrets. Um, mm -hmm. And what's funny is I didn't even add it up. Like I didn't even, at that time, we didn't even add up our debt. We just were like so concerned about what the other one was going to see on the report that we didn't even add it up. And so um, getting over ourselves is a big part of getting out of debt, in my opinion. Yeah, it's actually really funny you say that, you know, like you were so nervous and everything like that. And that's exactly what it is. You always think that you're alone in the world financially and that you're the only person going through what you're going through. And while, yeah, like if you think about it, you're not, but to yourself, you are, you know, and it's, right. it's your little struggle that you're going through. Um, so sort of speaking about struggles and mistakes, I know you've started helping a lot of people better their financial lives. Um, what would you say is one of the biggest mistakes you're currently seeing people making with their money? Is it like not paying off their debt, not investing? Um, what are some of the things that have come up a lot? The biggest thing that's on the rise that is coming up is the amount of student loan debt that we are, one, allowed to take on. Mm -hmm. And then two, that we take on and misuse and abuse, um, which means that, you know, a lot of students are taking on debt or having their parents take on parent plus loans, et cetera, and not using wisdom. Um, I think we get in over our heads way too quickly with student loan debt and, and people forget that it has to be paid off. Like they, they think, Oh, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. 
but what they don't realize is what those payments amount to. My student loan payment, not, and I don't even think this is bad now. In hindsight, this was, I, we paid off our debt 15 years ago, but now $451.21 is my number. That's how much I was paying in student loan debt just on one of them. And people don't realize that that's a, I mean, when you look at your finances, you're trying to take care of yourself. That's a lot of money, not to mention a car loan or credit cards or anything else. And so they don't realize people call me all the time and they say, so what do I do about these student loans? I'm like, uh, you got to pay them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> on my end, it, it, it feels easy to say, like it's the obvious thing, but they, at the age of 20, 25, I mean, a lot of people aren't really cognizant of what they have done when they add it up. And I'm seeing a lot of people now with a hundred, $150,000 in debt that are not doctors. They are not attorneys. They are not going to be making a hundred thousand dollars when they come out of school. And so that is my biggest concern. It is low interest debt, but it, you know, if you get it and you don't need it, people are getting refunds from their student, from their student loans that they get, they're getting cash in hand and misusing it. And, and so that means that you've taken too much out. It means that you're not thinking through your money in those years that you're in college. And a lot of people are going to school longer um, because either they can't find work or they feel like they need a master's program or what have you. And so then the debt, of course, is getting bigger and bigger. And so um, I think that's one of the biggest things that is of concern to me because of the amount that people are taking out. Um, these statistics where people say it's like 37,000 or 40,000 that undergrads are coming out of school with, I'm not seeing that that's the reality. I rarely see people who only have $37,000 in debt on student loans. I, it is massively more than that. So um, I think that's the biggest, to me, the next big thing, the next big ep- epidemic, because you can't get out of those things. <laughs> I'm not. You just can't. I'm not going to lie. I feel you 100% just talked about me yeah. when I was in college. 100%. I remember I used to, every semester, the form would come and you would click how much money you wanted. And I would max out every semester. I lived yep. well in college. And yeah. I remember thinking, and I am, before was not the most financially knowledgeable person. Like I knew not to overdraft my debit card account and, you know, to have, you know, some money saved and everything. But it never occurred to me in college that I was actually going to have to pay them back. I was just kind of right. like, eh, well, I'll solve this problem later. You know, I'll just take it out now and then I'll worry about it, you know, when I'm older. Yeah. And... Oh, man, if I could go back and shake like 22 year old Katie and just like start paying your student loans, because when I graduated, I lived at home with my mom and my student loan servicer would. I felt like every time I looked at my bank account, hundreds and hundreds of dollars constantly were coming out like five hundred dollars at a time. And at a teacher's salary, like that's. It's a lot. Most of the time, that's more than half my paycheck. Right. And I was just like, I can't, I can't afford to do this. So then I just dug my head in the sand and I didn't know what to do. And then I started deferring and I, you know, it just was a, a rainstorm that turned into like a hurricane yes. for me until I finally 
you know, decided I'm going to pay this off. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to look into different programs. And I really started educating myself because I never really imagined paying off my student loan. And then I also think we, as sad as it is, we live in a society where people just accept paying off their student loan basically until they die. You know, I I can't tell you how many people I've talked to where they're like, oh, yeah, well, I just have my student loan. No big deal. Or, you know, I owe 80. I was talking to a teacher the other day who she was like, yeah, I have like $60,000 in student loans. And my heart just like wrenched for her. Yes. And people people talk about their student loans like it's no big deal. And I think that is something that people definitely like it is a big deal. Well, they don't a, go away. In fact, they just get worse. Yes. And it's something that will follow you around like a pet if you allow it. Like people just don't take it seriously. It's sort of a normal occurrence. It's it's become as normal as having a car payment. Yeah. Um, and so it it is totally acceptable, totally social. I mean, it, everybody's got one, right? So you're, you are in the in crowd, <laughs> right? If you've got yeah. a student loan <laughs> and that isn't something to be super proud of. And, you know, it, it's hard to get people to really understand that there's something that they are missing out on when they're making those payments, And that is, in my opinion, the biggest deal is when you're missing out on opportunities, not just in life, but like in your future. I I just did a calculator calculation, my $451 and 21 cents. I'm telling you, I will remember that number to the day I die. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I really will. Over 40 years. Now, this is a working career. So I graduated in my 20s and I expect to be doing some kind of work, of course, until I'm 60, because I'm not going to be, I just, I'm that kind of person. At 10% interest, that's $2.8 million. Yep. Like, and that's the kind of stuff I look at is that if I had kept a student loan or any kind of payment, you can call it a car note or what have you. Am I going to really miss out on 2.8 million? And okay, let's say I'm half wrong. Okay. 1.4 million dollars. There's no way I want to give that up. Mm-mm. But we don't see that that is the opportunity cost if we allow ourselves to stick with these payments and act like it's okay. Yeah, it's it's absolutely crazy. So, going back to what we were talking about earlier a little bit, you and your husband as a team, you paid off $100,000 worth of debt. So, my question to you is what advice do you have for anyone that's in a sort of relationship where they're starting to get serious with money and or newly engaged or couples. newly engaged couples <laughs> or even married couples? <laughs> what right. sort of advice do you have in terms of figuring out how to work as a team with your money? Because it can be hard sometimes, especially if you don't see eye to eye. Yeah. Yes. Well, and here's the thing. Here's here's the big thing everybody needs to hear you won't always see eye to eye. You're two different people. You bring two different perspectives and that is okay. And it's also beautiful. My husband and I work well together as a team, but we don't see eye to eye on everything. And that's okay. You just have to figure out how to communicate and understand one another. So that's first, like know that you're never going to always feel the same about everything. And so when I say that, the other flip side of that is you need to find shared goals. So 
where do you want to be together as a as a couple and then from there it makes sense to start budgeting and figuring out how to marry your money and that kind of thing but find a common goal what is the first common goal and so my husband and i we both came from single parent households um we both saw financial dysfunction. <laughs> we witnessed it coming up, both of us, when we started understanding that our financial past was similar. Um, that kind of made the conversation a little bit easier to have about what it is that we wanted together. And all we could think of when we were early on in our relationship is that we wanted to change our family tree. We did not want to experience bankruptcy. We did not want to see, you know, um, the the feast and famine, paycheck to paycheck living. We really couldn't define, we didn't know what the future was going to hold because neither one of us had really good financial examples, but we knew what we didn't want. And so our shared goal was to change our family tree financially. And, um, and then we had to figure out along the way, how we do that. The first thing, I mean, it took us a while, but the first thing when we, when the crap hit the fan and we couldn't get our car fixed, we realized, oh yeah, we got to get this money thing together. And so, um, you know, getting out of debt was the very first thing. And we could, we could come together in agreement on that. The methodology, like budgeting, using cash, um, having one account or what have you, figuring out those decisions were secondary to the larger goal. And, and the big hairy goal drove us both. And so we had to be willing to say, okay, I'm not a fan of A, B, or C. But I am a fan of this big, hairy goal because, you're again, you're not going to always agree. So I think finding your shared common goal and going after that is super important. Um, there have been times in our relationship where he was the CFO of the relationship because I was burnt out and couldn't handle it. And then there are times when I'm the CFO, which means that I handle, you know, making sure that the bills are paid, the checking account is balanced and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and now he's the person who gets the cash out and he's like, okay, so let's talk about the budget. Like he'll initiate some things and, and then we'll have conversations, but those roles can change. And I just think that as long as you're heading in the same direction, that is the big thing to do. I think that's really important. And I like how you say that the roles can change. Um, I don't know if it's just, I'm like a 90 year old lady when it comes to watching Netflix TV. <laughs> and I watch like all like 20 year old, like Gilmore girl episodes when I'm by that's myself. That's great. <laughs> and that you see on all those kind of shows, though, that like, you know, typically the man takes care of the money, the woman, you know, kind of just doesn't. And then the man dies. And now it's, the woman's just like, oh, oh my goodness, now what am I going to do? I don't know how to do yes. anything. I don't know how to file a tax return. I don't know yes. what bank we use. I don't even know like where the emergency cash in the house is. And I think it's oh. really important for people to at least know, like, if you want to switch back and forth, if you want to do it together, at least make sure both of you know, like, the basics that, you know, in case yes. something happened. Like, if Dennis, God forbid, you know, was in the hospital for a month, like, I need to still know how to pay the rent and That's vice versa. Exactly right. And that that is one of the things that is, I have to figure out how I bring this to light in my business. I haven't quite 
figured it out. But I am very much so a person who wants to help like the widows, the the people who never fully understood money, but they're like in their 60s and it's hard. I had a, I've had a couple of clients who were blindsided by a loss of a hu- husband and they really did not know what to do. Um, and the challenge is that when you're grieving and you've suffered loss, not only do you not know what to do, but you don't have the energy to do it. So that that is a real soft spot for me. But mm-hmm. the other side of that is women who are gainfully employed and active in life as well as, you know, and they have a partner and they're not taking financial control for themselves, meaning they don't have to like lead the effort, but you need to be aware. And so one of the things that I tell my clients who are in a relationship, I say, you need some love notes. And I call those love notes, you know, the things that your partner needs to know that make a difference in your financial life. So this is a list of passwords, a list of you know, where the insurance documents are, all of these things. You're te- This is a love note because you're telling your spouse, I care about you enough to keep you in the loop. And if anything happens to either one of us, we can still figure this thing out. Like we are very capable and aware. It drives me crazy when women don't know how much money they, they, they have or how to do life financially. Typically it's the women, I'll be honest. I'm making mm-hmm. a generalization, but I've worked with hundreds of people and that is typically what happens because they think you know the men typically will want to just sort of care for they feel like that's being head of household caring for their spouse and that's totally fine but being in the dark is not okay I don't care what gender you are Um, and that I think is where I want to really empower women to get in the front seat literally so that you are aware of your surroundings when you're in the back seat of a car you go to sleep, you tune out, you don't have any direction, you don't know, you're all constantly asking, are we there yet? But when you're in the front seat, you actually have to help navigate. You have to find the next gas station. And I want women and men both to be in the front seat of their financial journey, knowing exactly where they're going and why they're there. I love it. So since we're on the topic, can you go ahead and give us the 30 second elevator pitch for a tailor-made budget? Oh, awesome. You know what? I'll be honest with you. It changes frequently depending on where I'm at and what my clients are up to and how things are going. But I'll tell you this. This is my 32nd. Okay. Um, I help couples get on the same page with their money so they can get out of debt and reach their goals. And I help single people have an accountability partner so that they can stop sweeping things under the rug and live the life they really want to live. I love it. Fantastic. Love it. Money Clan, we're just going to take a quick break and then we'll dive right back into the value link round. Money Clan, if you have any kind of debt, refinancing is often a great way to reduce your monthly payments and end up paying less interest so you can pay off your debt quicker. I've just created a mega post on the topic. You can head on over to chainofwealth.com slash refinance. Definitely check out the article. There's a ton of great information in there. And it's interactive, so you can actually customize it to your own situation and figure out your numbers. That's chainofwealth.com slash refinance. Okay, Erica, I know we talked about it a little bit before the show and everything, but can you share a little bit of your savings plan or retirement plan or both? 
Ooh, that's awesome. Okay, so I'm a long-term investor. So I have, as soon as we, I mean, we were still investing a little bit when we were getting out of debt, but um, I'm a long-term investor. So honestly, I keep it really simple with mutual funds and things of that nature. One of the things that we are actually considering doing is accelerating our plan, trying to pay off our, you know, sell our house so that we can actually purchase a home with cash and begin to save a mortgage payment. So we are now at a phase where we're considering that as a part of our retirement strategy um, so that we can probably retire early without feeling like we have to have this big, massive amount saved in the bank. But yeah, we're long-term investors with mutual funds. We keep it really simple. And um, I think one of the things that we're going to probably do to enhance that is going to be to do some vacation rentals, um, that kind of thing when our kids are done with college. (laughs) So fantastic. (laughs) Yes. It's coming up. One of them is in there already. (laughs) You're almost done. It happens quickly. (laughs) It does. It does. Yep. So Erica, do you have a favorite quote you like to live by? Yes, I do. It's in my office. Um, I've got a couple of them. Um, One of them is sacrifice is giving up something good for something better. And that's something I have to remind my clients of periodically because they um, feel like they're giving up something and that that it's not going to be better. But there's always something better around the end if you are committed. And I do have a second one. I could squeeze that one in. Um, The best preparation for the future is the present well-tended. And that speaks to budgeting, cash flow planning, making sure that you know what's going on. Um, If you tend to today very well, you will be able to prepare for your future in a positive way. Fantastic. Erica, we've absolutely loved hanging out today. Do you have any other last parting piece of advice for our listeners? And then we'll say goodbye. Okay. Um, Yes. So I say give yourself a break. Um, honestly, it's finances are hard. It's difficult to, to talk with people about them. And it's an uphill battle um, when you're trying to get to your next level, whatever that looks like. And so um, be easy on yourself. We're all human. We make mistakes and it's never going to be perfect. But as long as you make pr- progress, then um, you know that you're going in the right direction. So um, give yourself a break a little bit in terms of what happened in the past and if you trip over yourselves because we always do that too. Um, but just make incremental progress and then you're going to get to the goals that you have set. I love that. You need to remind yourself of that. Definitely. Yes. <laughs> Money Clan, we've been here with Erica. You can check out her website. It's tailormadebudgets.com. She's got a seven-day money challenge on there. So definitely jump on there and take her challenge. Well, Kate, I really enjoyed chatting with Erica. What was your biggest takeaway from today's talk? Mm, I would say just make sure both people in your relationship are knowledgeable and you have a shared plan together. Yeah, and my biggest takeaway was sort of that it's okay to butt heads, you know, and that (laughs) you're going to have differences of opinions. But that being said, you know, you need to find that middle ground and sort of come together and make stuff work. And have that same end goal. Yeah, exactly. Agreed. All right, guys, we'll catch you next time on another episode of Chain Evolve. Bye. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.